There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. A hawk in the hand is worth two Jonathan Christophers in the bush. I noticed I just finished rewatching this episode because I fell asleep last night. I don't know. Young Valentine looks exactly like Luke Baines. Right? Like spinning image of Luke Baines. I know. I was looking at this. It's what they did such great casting. But anyway, here we are once again. Why are we talking about great casting? Because we're talking about Shadowhunters, right, Dom? We sure are, as always. It'd be weird if we started these podcasts talking about. It's like anything else. This is I mean, a it's true. Shadowhunters podcast, first and foremost. Absolutely. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome, Shadow Fam. Welcome, Angels, and everything in between back to our show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to volley to you. Well, we'll get I the saw, hang of I, this eventually. I felt it. Yeah. God, it's it's just it's 7 a.m. and 7 I missed that volley. You're gonna have to lob yeah. it up to me again. It's all right. Dom, I, I will give you massive credit. You're such a trooper. I know you're not the biggest morning person, and we've been doing a lot of these very early in the morning. You know, I just don't sleep, but... I'm getting better at mornings. I, not as good as you, because you get like 40 minutes sleep a night, and then you're up and ready to go like some yep. absolute psychopath. Basically. But what I noticed is I'm a lot better at mornings than 
my girlfriend. I noticed that I'm better than she is. <laughs> so I have that going for me for sure. Today's episode, Kat, why don't you tell us the ins and outs of what we're going to be rewatching and talking about today? Absolutely. Well, today on Return to the Shadows, we are going to be talking about season one, episode six of Men and Angels, which this episode title. <laughs> So my TV dad on Arrow, Stephen Amell, has his own winery, and he does like partnerships with people and makes different wines. When he and I worked together, I called it of Queens and Angels because of this episode title. Oh, cool. My last name is Queen on that show, and then I was like, oh, let's marry the two and make a wine that people hopefully will like. What sort of wine was it? It's a uh, Syrah Malbec blend. Mm. It definitely gave you a bottle. Did you? It did. Well, then I definitely enjoyed it, it at some the point. pandemic. Nobody knows. <laughs> oh, I remember. Yes, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yes, I did. I very much enjoyed that bottle of wine. So thank you to you and Stephen, 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 Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Anyway, this episode of Men and Angels aired on February 16th, 2016, was based on the books by Cassandra Clare, of course, and was written by Ed Dechter and Y. Shireen Razak, who we love Shireen. She became such a huge mm-hmm. part of... The, our whole journey in season one. It was such a great source of information to kind of teach us as well. Agreed. Directed by Oz Scott. Indeed it was. We have some new people joining this. We have, well, kind of new people. We have new faces coming into the show mm-hmm. who represent people that we've already seen. We also have one very cute new face <gasps> coming in who is we do. super exciting. And you will get to meet him later and we'll talk about him later Absolutely. on. Paulino, who plays Robert Lightwood, appears for the first time. That's right. That's right. We do get Paulino in the show. So what happens in this episode, Dom? As for this episode, let me tell you. Let me tell you. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Valentine, Jocelyn, and Luke's history is finally revealed. And not only is it history connected to those three, but it's somewhat intransient for everything that we seem to be doing in the show the starting point of everything that we have continued on with this story. With Luke in dire need of help, Jace, Clary, and Simon take him to Magnus's lair in hopes of saving his life. Once there, the story of how Valentine came to be evil and Jocelyn and Luke's past is revealed to Clary in hopes of triggering her memory of what happened to the Mortal Cup. Meanwhile, Isabel and Alec are tasked to restore their family name in the eyes of the clave. So this episode is otherwise known as Sins of the Father. <laughs> Sins like, of hey, the Father. All of this stuff that our parents set up and kind of messed up, we now have to deal with. Mm. Which mm-hmm. sort of the theme for the show, but also very apparent in this episode. Very much so. Some fun facts about this episode. The title refers to the Shadowhunter race, half human, half angel. If you didn't pick that up, then Shame on you. <laughs> and you've been you've been in Canto, clearly, because yeah. we've been talking about this since day dot. Wow, we shot this episode in just over a week. That seems really short. Well, it was sort of a bottle episode, as it were. And for, for those who aren't mm. familiar with certain TV production terminology, a bottle episode is one where the majority of it happens within your soundstage and within your space. So you don't have to take the extra time and energy to move everything to a location or to kind of there's not really night shoots. There's not a lot of big major scenes, although they did go and I think they only had to go to one or two days to shoot at that. And they might have even done it on the a second flashbacks. unit. The flashbacks. Yeah. Do you remember 
couldn't tell you. No, we, I mean, we weren't there for that, obviously, yeah. so I couldn't tell you. Do you remember at one point they were talking about having us play Young Jocelyn and Young I Valentine? Do. I oh, do. I was I'm so glad excited. That didn't happen. I was. I would have loved it. I mean, look, I think the the actors that came in and did it did a brilliant job, and arguably it I worked agree. better for the show. But we would have had a lot of fun. I mean, you get you would have gotten to do you know an Alan Van Sprang. I would have got to do an Alan Van Sprang. Although, evidently, as we were talking about earlier, there is a better actor attributed to play that role who later on comes and actually joins our little family. That is true. Uh, the episode circle scenes were filmed at the Parkwood Estate, Oshawa, Ontario, which is a, a beautiful, I guess, stately manor. Is that what it is? There seem to be a lot of those, you know, because we shot at that, yeah. that other castle that was in the city as well. The horror castle, yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, what's his name's uh, penthouse Magnus's friend's penthouse? I'm very excited to talk oh, about that episode Ragnar later Fell. on. He, Ragnar Fell's penthouse or, or castle. Again, we got to shoot in this gorgeous, stately home. It's really amazing. This is why Toronto kind of became this magical playground for us because we had a plethora of locations and so many resources that we really could create all of the realms of the shadow world and, and every sort of world we had to enter there was something a couple of hours drive at most away that was perfect for it at most yeah i think the furthest we traveled was i mean we we went to do when we did idris paris was the furthest we traveled that's a good point paris is obviously (laughs) the farthest we traveled yeah but i mean within toronto when we did uh idris and the lake and that stuff that was a couple hours away and we stayed up there for a few days to film all that stuff Everything else was sort of, we we stayed in our apartments and got driven to and from work every day, which was very cool. Last little fun fact, which I actually didn't know this one. It was said that Harry Shum Jr. improvised the moment where Magnus puts the finger to Alex's mouth, which is perhaps why Matthew Daddario looks so very, very surprised. It's tough to catch Matt off guard. In fact, I don't think I've ever done it. I don't think I've ever managed to get him completely off guard and not for lack of trying, not just on the show, but <laughs> also in our personal lives, continuing on. Uh, to this day, I do try and get him very often and very rarely does it work. So props to you, Harry, for catching the one and only Matty Daddario's off guard. Harry's so great when it comes to those kind of things. He has such a sense of play. Mm. I even he'll he'll toss in little bloopers on purpose sometimes just because he has a bit that he thinks is funny. Yeah. And they're always my favorite because you'll just be, you know, in the most dire of situations and he goes, Clary. I just saved fifteen percent or more on my car insurance. And right. just going, what? <laughs> okay, sure. Can we go save everybody now? Yeah, okay. him and Alberto both very good at that play thing. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of these scenes that happen that I think both of them take advantage of very well with these like dramatic ending shots that where the the idea, whatever the idea is in the scene, is not finished. So it's you know, those, I'm not good at these at all. They always make me laugh because they, it's the, you mean, slow pushing. you mean we do, or, you know, <laughs> the idea isn't finished and the camera slowly pushes into your face. Um, and Drew and I, especially who Drew came on to be our, uh, a camera operator in season two, we would just look at each other and as soon as they would say, and then give us a slow push at the end of this scene, Drew would look at me and I'm like, I'll do my best, man, but I'm not, I know that I'm going <laughs> to laugh. It's a silly thing to have to do to just sit there wh- yeah. while a camera inches closer and closer and closer to your face but those two particularly are very good at taking advantage of those moments and turning it into something either special or hysterical 
Yeah, absolutely. And something else that Harry does to make things quite special and often hysterical that we see for the first time in this episode is him creating potions and tinctures. And, you know, they give him such a sense of of a space to play in in his apartment. And actually, we see it more in season two which I'm sure was inspired by what he did. They created a whole sort of apothecary for Magnus Mm. when they redid the apartment later on. But props department just gave him everything and he took it and ran with it. Normally we'll play with one or two things or you'll have an actor do one, one thing that sort of tells the story. Harry goes all out and he's creating things and doing things and moving things. And I remember being on set with him and he's going, what can and can't I use? Is there anything that I can't touch or put in or use up? And once he had those parameters, he just played. Well, and yeah, and later on, you're right. Later on, they started, the the set design team started adding more and more so that he could come in and sort of go, what can I touch? And they're like, everything, dude. You can do whatever you want. Like, yeah. we've designed this around sort of you. And I think Harry, for those who don't know, is a very, very accomplished dancer. And so much of the motion of Magnus comes from that ability to to move his body in this beautifully ethereal way. And he created all of that. So I think once, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't say, and again, when we get Harry on, I'm sure he'll be able to talk to this. But when, I guess when people saw it, they were like, oh, well, this is just amazing. And let's just let him (laughs) create, you know, more of Magnus as we move on. Yeah. And speaking of more of Magnus, that kind of takes us into the, a few of the book to screen elements Mm. of this episode. One of which being, Magnus's proclivity for names and nicknames. You know, in the books throughout, he can never remember Jace's name and calls him a myriad of things from Jake to Jason to Joe to John or whatever it is. He always gets the first letter right, which is a real compliment. Yeah, which is great. He remembers, you know, well, JC tends to be. I'm sure that's where his head is at. Look, who can blame him for not remembering what Jace's name is, depending on where we are in the story? I mean, it's true. Whoever can. But I remember he was doing that during this episode, and all of us got such a kick out of it. We were all waiting with bated breath to see what what name he would choose this time. What name is going to come out? And speaking of names, something that I'm rather fond of and still continue to this day is um, in the books, Magnus gives Clary the nickname of Biscuit. And this is the first time we hear him call her Biscuit. Yeah, very, very sweet. Very cute. What else is, tell me more, because I get to be educated a little here as well. Tell me more about the book to screen stuff. So it's interesting. I I didn't actually, I'm looking at our notes and, and credit to our podcast team for reminding me of this. Um, Robert Lightwood is actually the harsher parent in the books. Mm. He is is a bit more by the books and a bit more of the strict and stoic parent. Maris is still hard, but we don't really get to see Robert's soft side. And that's um, at least not until much later on when, you know, things are much more dire. Because they get more dire. If you didn't think the end of the world was enough, we have a surprise for you. Oh, no. Oh, I mean, listen, I'd love to see the Shadowhunters in 2020 because they'd be like, listen, we, we've been dealing with these kind of stakes this is nothing. forever. This is nothing. <laughs> but as such, we get to see some really lovely insight into the Lightwood family dynamics in this episode. We also get to meet the incomparable little Jack Fulton, who plays our Max Lightwood. <sighs> what a little sweetheart. He just comes in I love Jack like a so ball much. of energy every time. And he's you know, a talented little kid, and he's good fun and... Another one of our guest stars who just kind of sit into the groove of it really well. Mm -hmm. But the fun thing, here's what's interesting when you cast kids in TV shows. (laughs) Jack was, what was he, probably 10 or 11 during this episode? Yeah. 
um, which means towards the end, he was 13, 14. And you'll notice at the end of season three, the boy is six foot tall and his voice is deeper than mine. And we had the same issue with uh, Lola, who yeah, plays the Sealy Queen. Queen. Um, you know, I remember costumes saying I went in for a fitting once and they were all exhausted. And they were, I was like, what's going on with you guys? And they were like, we just had Lola in. She's a foot and a half taller. So we had to recustom everything that she wears. Mm-hmm. You know, people are so selfish how they <laughs> naturally grow. Dang kids are just growing left, right, and center. But Dang I remember kids. that with both of them, particularly when they came in at the end of season three, I, I heard this voice behind me in the makeup trailer. I'm like, who's this? Do we have a new person? What's And it was Jack. Jack. Yeah, little Jack just all of a sudden is like, sup. Sup. What's going on? Sup. Like, holy fucking shit. Why have Hi, this you come apparently from? have grown. <laughs> Kids. <sighs> Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. So... Topics of discussion that we should touch on as we move in through the episode. Yes. And hopefully you are into watching with us episode. into the Warlocks episode. And this is, yeah, I mean, we had a, a sort of a Warlock based episode. I don't know if this is necessarily a Warlock episode so much as it is That's a Magnus true. episode. We get to see him. Yeah. Because even as a Warlock, he's still pretty fantastical. You know, we meet Warlocks who are nurses who are, you know, have sort of a more standardized position in the world. Yeah. And Magnus mm-hmm. really took his like fantastical nature and ran with it and stuck to those guns. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say this is directly a Warlock episode so much as it is a Magnus episode, but we do get to see a lot more of 
the knowledge and the, you know, as you were mentioning, the sort of warlock chemistry sets that we start building. And this is sort of the first time we get to see not just the magic from the hands, you know, the actual sort of apothecary stakes that go into this sort of magic. Yeah, he's not sort of a, a magical genie in a bottle in this episode. He's a healer and he's a yeah. sort of a parental figure and kind of a guide to all of these, you know, kids as it were through this. It's the parent episode as it were. You get to see a lot of the parental figures really come into fruition. And this is something I think too that our show did really well is balancing the parent-child relationships but very much humanizing the parents within it. Yeah. They weren't these sort of perfect or harsh or one-dimensional things that popped in and out to sort of be the authority figures in our story. Yeah. They were human and they were people and they had struggles they and problems yeah. and flaws. And and it it really added so much to our story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This also is one of my personal favorite episodes because Alberto and I really got to play with this and we really got to start developing what this relationship is. Not just the the tension between Jason Simon, which is all really caused. You know, I've said this sort of from the beginning, like I think Jason Simon would be really good friends were it not for Clary. If they'd have just met <laughs> superfluous of this, you know, this love triangle, I think they would be very close, which come to find out later on somewhat ends up being the case. And, you know, that's a huge foreshadowing for much later on. It's true. Well, we know in life that became the case. In life, that definitely we, yeah, became We know the case. very much in life that, I mean, honestly, in the love triangle of Jace, Clary, and Simon, Clary is the third wheel. We know this. Of the Domberto, Catherine combination, I am the third wheel. Agreed. Uh, and I've been well aware of this from day one and have very much enjoyed watching you two just bond and bro blossom. For it really years. did. It blossomed. The bromance <laughs> blossomed. What was the first one? I remember when uh, Alberto and Emerard. Was it just Alberto and Emerald? We're in uh, Argentina. Because yeah. you and I went to Paris for the Netflix junket yeah. and they went to Argentina. And I remember that it was the first uh, that someone asked in Spanish about Domberto. And he said, Domberto es real. And I was like, does that mean what I think it means? Or is it one of those words that sounds like it should mean? So I asked him and he was like, hell yeah, buddy, that means that's a real thing. You know, and I was like, that's cute. But we got to, you know, this episode we got to, because again, as as we've spoken about before, to feel that anger and that tension and to, you know, have these scenes where we're very tight with each other, you know, physically with the swords and holding each other against walls and this, that, and the other, it takes some real trust to do that sort of stuff, especially for me, like, I really don't like, people you know touching this area of my body at all so to have him do that and trust him implicitly that that is you know this is a safe thing to happen and then be able to perform around it took some real trust and i couldn't be happier that the person putting a knife against my throat was alberto it's a weird There's thing a to sense say you never thought you'd say yeah or maybe you did who no, knows maybe yeah maybe <laughs> it happens to me all the time <laughs> but no it it really is and especially watching it back so many years later you really do see the two of you bonding as well mm. and having fun, even though there is a lot of tension and conflict there in these scenes. It, it is really nice to get to see the two of you find a flow and find this sort of tense chemistry in the same way that, you know, Matt and I did in other episodes with our Alec and Clary stuff. It, it's nice to kind of see things develop and see the beginnings. Totally. The other thing that's interesting about this is evidently my foot is better. And I noticed that because I'm 
running around and starting to jump off things. And I'm in a full sprint at one point. So evidently my foot is better, which is interesting to me. I was watching it this morning and he, you know, Jace runs out of the, out of his sort of black market dealer's place at a full sprint and hops down the stairs and stuff. And that couldn't have been more than sort of two months between getting injured and this. And so the thing that surprises me about that is I've just done it again recently tour you remember this because i turned up to mafia in a boot and on crutches again and i guess either that was worse or i'm getting older because it's not better it's still not better like it's it's you know i'm walking around and i was running around with the dog yesterday but it's i can still feel it it's still a mess so if anyone has any tips on how to deal with although this one was this one was bad i was rock climbing and i came off the wall at about sort of 15 20 feet and i felt my whole ankle rolled and snap underneath me which is pretty horrendous but yeah if anyone has any tips on how to how to fix that any exercises please let me know hopefully by the time this airs it'll be somewhat better but i'm not holding out of hope i'm in my 30s now i'm brittle it's like i'm made of breadsticks but yeah that was that was a a lovely thing with this episode sort of spans the entirety of that relationship of Jason Simon almost where you see you get to see the sort of tension and that continues on through the story but just right at the end you get to see a little like connection between the two and neither of them are happy about what just happened but just a little like oh there are legs for this relationship to turn into something positive later on absolutely which it very much does and speaking of that kind of well we'll get to that kind of foreshadowing later but there is another beat at the beginning of this episode that I love. And and it's something we haven't touched on. It's another book to screen thing that we don't really deal with later because we start portaling everywhere. But uh, shadow hunters don't drive. We do not drive. Simply because of portals Portals. and flying motorcycles and other things. (laughs) And Jace shows up with a bloody nose. Uh, And you you have that little banter with Simon about the Monday driving that still makes me giggle. Yep. The airbag must have got me. But then we dive into... Luke is having random werewolf transformations because of the pack leader's bite. All of these things are happening very quickly. He keeps having these sort of werewolf seizures, as it were. Magnus is trying to deal with it while dealing with all of our bickering in the background. And we see Luke have a vision of Jocelyn where she says, tell Clary, you have to tell her everything. And he goes, no, I want to help you. I want to get to you. And she goes, promise me you'll tell her everything. And so he, before he passes out, tells Magnus, you have to tell Clary everything. And it's interesting. There's a moment, they had this lovely moment in there where you get to see Magnus and Luke connect. Mm. And you know, you can just tell that there's a history there, which we find out so much more of later. Mm-hmm. But it's something that they planted that seed so long ago where you get to see these two have known each other for decades, if not longer. And there's there's a history and there's a trust and there's an implicit partnership even between these two leaders in two different parts of the downworld. You're right. These are the sort of two leaders of these factions. But this is a, this is a new thing for Luke. He's not been the leader yeah. of this before. So this episode, we sort of finally get our three, um, our three sort of leader points. And although it is the Seely Queen, our sort of point of contact in New York is really more Melion. And then mm-hmm. up to the Seely Queen. So we have sort of Melion as our as our Seely, fairy, ethereal world contact, um, our sort of nature contact. We have Luke now as our werewolf contact. And then we have Magnus as our warlock contact. And then there is one more. That's, that's not yet. 
And also, uh, speaking of Magnus, before he sends the two of you off on your bonding mission to pick up ingredients for what he needs to heal Luke, he also drops a hint that he needs Alec Lightwood. A little something else. Alexander. He needs a little something extra. He needs some virgin shadow hunter energy. Virgin shadow hunter energy, which Jace doesn't really flinch at. That's just like weird but whatever it's more the like we're not like best buddies right now we're like in a bit of a Mm -hmm. thing we're having a bit of a quarrel like it is what it is but the reality is and again this comes back to what we were talking about at the end of the last relation uh, the last episode is that relationship is so pure and so perfect that like it just gets done. It just happens. It's just, you know, when we need each other, it doesn't matter what's going on. It's very similar to the Clary Simon relationship in that, like, you know, you make that phone call and it's like, of course, like, whatever's currently happening will be dropped and we will come and help you out. And then, you know, it's left where you and Simon are off running around. He's calling you a lap dog, all of these things, which, oh, so much of that dialogue is so spicy. And mm. I loved every second of it. Um, but then we're back with Magnus and Clary. And It's interesting, we see, because Magnus knows Clary's past and her instincts and all of this, in a very similar way to what Jace does, Magnus starts treating Clary as though she's a member of the team, Mm -hmm. and as though she knows what she's supposed to be doing and and knows this, and Clary, who's been wanting to be treated like a member of the team, is overwhelmed and goes, I'm not ready, I'm not doing it, starts to shut down. She's lost everything. She's lost her father, she's lost, well, Luke, who kind of is her father in this sense at this point, and she's starting to, to, I think, understand that many of the things that have gone wrong, the people that have, that have gotten hurt and everyone that's been put in harm's way is because of her. Mm-hmm. And that's starting to kind of come to a head and weigh on her and she's ready to just back out and call it. But Magnus, being the warlock godfather that he is, gives her a pad and paper, says, go to your bliss, go to your art, and let me tell you a story. Which, not just wonderful parenting, but also a huge plot device that we have seen one time so far in episode one, we have seen Mm -hmm. this ability. And again, this I thought was very well written in that this weird things happen in episode one, but it's so passive that you sort of pave over it as a thing to the point where we were like, wait, why is this ability coming back? This is mental. And then you're like, ah, I see. I remember. I know what this is. I know what this means. And they did a very good job of sort of, we call it burying the lead, which is where, you know, whatever the story point is, is not ready to be told in that story. So we've given you the information as the audience, but we haven't quite told you how it connects to everything that is so prevalent in this story, as it were. We also now get to look at the the buddings of our first proper LGBTQ relationship in the show. This is sort of the episode that it started, you know, you had a little sort of twinkle in the eye from Magnus and a little like glance from Alec every now and then. But this is the episode that we get to see, oh, there's there's something here. There's a there's a real connection here from both of them. They're both enamored with each other. And we just get that first little taste of what is to come from these beautiful two. But we have a bit more convincing before Alec will Oh yeah agreed to come and and he has some family drama he has to deal with first uh-huh, uh-huh. which okay which family drama do you want to get into do you want to get into lightwood family drama or do you want to get into older shadow hunter parent ancient history family let's drama? let's start with lightwoods let's start with lightwood family drama and then we can end on heavy trying to take over the world darth vader shit 
because this is what's so interesting. And I, I think because I wasn't there shooting it and heard it at the table read and then probably saw it when it aired. But yeah. there's so much to this sense of kind of honor and duty that is carried with the Lightwoods <laughs> in the Shadowhunters kind of community. And since Clary has come into their lives, she's kind of messed all that up. When Americans say duty, it's my favorite thing. Say duty. <laughs> duty. Yeah. It sounds like poo. Yeah. You're saying poo. It is <laughs> hilarious. Duty, darling. Duty. Duty. You're saying that duty. Better? That's what you're saying. Hilarious. Yeah. Hello, mm-hmm. Boonzy. How are you? Just give me one second. The dog wants to okay. say hi. It's very funny. I'll, I'll, while Dom is gone, I'll tell the audience. There's certain words that I say. I'm from the Midwest. We say things all wrong. Certain things, at least in Dom's perspective. And uh, there's certain words I say that Dom gets a kick out of. So now let's oh, yeah. just start a list. Duty oh, yeah. is one of them. Vegas is another. Yeah, Vegas is a weird one. Up. Come on, you can fit. <laughs> you can fit. This is Bruno, everyone. <gasps> Hi, Bruno. Bru- oh, okay. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. He's Bruno, gone. Come here. Up. You're halfway up. Come on. There's, there's, a, so there's much an adorable dog today. that's... There's so much Dom, you more. have all the fluff or nothing, and I love this. I know. This is Decca's sister's dog, um, and we've grown quite attached to him. This is a fun fact about Dom that I think is one of the most wonderful things about him. Anywhere we are, no matter if we're walking down the street in a random city or at work, on set, in the middle of doing something, or at anywhere, if there's a dog, Dom will run across the street. He will f- stop everything to yeah. go and love on the puppy. And even when we were in Paris, we went to that restaurant and there was <sighs> some woman had this adorable little puppy. Do you remember that? Yes. And Dom literally sat on the sidewalk on the street and just cuddled this dog for about 10 minutes. I'll have to dig up those pictures because I, I think somewhere as well, or Brian yeah. posted one or mm-hmm. something. Ugh, it's one of my favorite things about you, Dom. Well, they're just the best, aren't they? Just little... Fluff and nutters, and you're a good puppy, and they're just so sweet. The neighbor here has <laughs> a, I can't remember, but the neighbor has one, and I made friends with him yesterday as well. It's been a good d- doggy day. As much as we love talking about all the adorable dogs in our lives, we need to talk about the adorable Lightwoods in our lives. So back to saying kind of the Lightwoods and their sense of duty (laughs) and honor and uh, this role that they play because you find out in this episode that the Lightwood's position in the shadow world as the heads of the New York Institute is purely based on them earning it Mm -hmm. by being exemplary shadow hunters and extraordinary soldiers and following the chain of command. You know, it, it was bad enough when you find out that Maris I don't know if you find out in this episode or a different one that Maris was a circle member. I don't think, I think it's we this find episode. Later, yeah, I think we find alert. out later. But given that, they've earned their way back into the good graces of the clave. But now, with Clary showing up and Alex sanctioning all these downworlder missions and Isabel and all of her dealings with the Seelies and other downworlders, their image has suffered. And now that's why the parents have come back to New York to sort of rein in their wanton children. Yeah. And make a plan to earn back the Clave's trust so that they don't lose the New York Institute. Totally. I mean, as much as Maris is the hard one, or but with this sort of level of affection, we really don't see this broken affectionate side of her come out. We don't really see her, you know, atone for her wrongdoings until like mid-season two, or even late yeah. season two. Because I, all I remember the first half of season two, really is that the clave thinks I'm a bad guy. That's all I remember. Episode one of season two, they hunt me. 
that I'm. Well, that's when we get Nick Sagar. We get Alder Tree, that's and that true. is just a whole other. That's a whole other situation. It's a whole other kettle of fish. But I digress again. I'm going to say that a lot because I do get carried away. We tangent. It's fine. It is. It is. It's a but, constant. But it's thing. interesting be- <laughs> because the Lightwoods go about it in very different ways, and this is something that almost puts a rift in the two Lightwood siblings. Um, but in the end, sort of pushes Alec to make a choice that leads him on this journey to kind of grow as an individual and come into his own in a really beautiful way. But you know, they find out because Isabel is a sleuth mm. that the parents have plans for both of their children. Mm-hmm. They are Isabel because she has these downworld connections and because of the mess that they've made needs to kind of help solve what's going on. Isabel takes over the role that Alec was destined for. Yeah, but that's interesting, isn't it? Cause what is the phrase? Um, you know, we often miss our destiny on the path. We choose to avoid it. Mm-hmm. This, this is sort of the beginning of, you know, as it's almost like, Maris unknowingly and completely accidentally sparked the relationship between Magnus and Alec. You know, forcing him to be one thing pushed him away from that and really polarized the realization that that's not what he wants. And then cut to episode 12, which we'll talk about. And I'll try and remember to bring this up again when we're talking about episode 12. But I wonder if Magnus would have made such a big flashy show if he had more time, if he had the ability to think, well this isn't going anywhere so I can sort of relax into this as opposed to like, I'm going to lose this person forever. So I need to make exactly. this, you know, and Maris starts this. Maris starts, mm-hmm. she sort of sets that train in motion. And I think there's a lot of that in this show where we do meet our destiny on the path that we're taking to avoid it. Mm-hmm. In so many ways. So many but ways. that's exactly what happens. We find out that Alec, who was supposed to be the diplomat, supposed to be the politician, the one to run things, the authority figure, He's going to be the one that gets married off. Mm-hmm. And we don't know to who yet. We don't know what that's going to entail. But Alec will be married to create a political alliance to restore the family name. And Isabel will have to shape up and quit toying around and become a soldier and become a diplomat and become the sort of liaison and start taking her relationships more seriously, mm-hmm. which is very out of character for both of them and sort of pushes them on their paths to become, as you said, what we see later on in the show. And the people who we know they are. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Potential rotating segment, Shadowhunters in Love. Wow. Again, I am going to assume that this is Liz's handiwork, who is one of our wonderful producers. Round of applause for Liz. Sound effect. Round of applause for Liz, honestly. (laughs) Full round of applause. We used to do this when we were in school. Get it? Round of applause. Round of applause. I love a pun, Dom. So many more puns. Seal of approval. You ever get that one? Seal of approval. Oh, 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 oh. Because it's a C-S-E-A-L seal of approval. Anywho, um, <clears throat> wow, that's embarrassing. Um, if Shadowhunters only have one true love, how does Jocelyn Valentine Luke plotline work? It's an interesting question. We should talk to our writers about that because that's correct in many senses. Mm-hmm. The, the How did Jocelyn love these two men? And perhaps that speaks to the reason that the Jocelyn Luke thing never turned into an actual relationship. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And I think given what we know about where the story goes, and this is actually a a bit of a deviance from the book as well, Mm. because in the book, in the book, I would say that Jocelyn and Valentine probably thought they were each other's love, but weren't. Mm. And in the end, you see, because in the books, Jocelyn and Luke fall in love and get married. Mm. And that's kind of the big the big thing that's happening in the last three books is the planning of and following through with Jocelyn and Luke getting married. Interesting. But in our series, obviously, for reasons we'll get into later, that doesn't happen. Sure doesn't. Definitely doesn't sure happen. Sure doesn't. Can't love without a heart. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, my theory for the show would be that Jocelyn and Luke are a bit more along the lines of Simon and Clary. Mm. You know, they have a real connection. They are each other's person and rock and support system in a lot of ways and have a love for each other. But it's a very different kind of love than Jocelyn and Valentine had, at least for the brief time that Valentine was still the man that he was originally before he lost his mind. Totally. And Luke, arguably, has a greater love that is in store for him. He does. Down the road. He does. That's correct. Yes, he does. See what I'm saying? Picking up what I'm putting down? more destiny met on paths to avoid destiny how fun right but speaking of destiny let's go back let's and let's go way back deep 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 back let's go all the way back to arguably the early 90s yeah must have been right like this was pre us being born 
Clary was 18. Well, pre-Clary being born. That's what I mean. Yeah, pre-Clary being born. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been weird if they shot these scenes before you and I were born. They just had the brainchild for this show. <laughs> no, we're going to shoot a flashback I mean, scene and then I mean, I think 12 Jace years was later, born. we're going to film an actual TV show. Was Jace born? I think Jace might have been born. Or or at least He, he Jace was a twinkle was in likely. his dad's eye, I suppose, at some point. There you go. I don't know that he can have been born... Oh, no, he must have been. Yeah, you're right. He must have been thinking timeline-wise with the box and the brother who died in a fire. Mm-hmm. He must have been around. Well, it would have been between, I think, between the first scene we see where we see Valentine mm-hmm. rallying the troops and then the latter scene that we see with when we find out what happens between Luke and Valentine and why Luke yeah. is no longer a shadow hunter. I think between those two two flashbacks, Jace would have been born if we're going to get super technical. We're going to get super into it because the Waylands, Jace's family in this moment, were in the circle, were they not? Yep. No, 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 no. No, I don't think so. Wasn't Selena Herondale? <gasps> You're right. I don't think we know the official Wayland mother's name. We just know Michael. No, we don't. Michael Way, but yeah, Michael so Whalen was Wayland. in the circle and was around at this time. And yes, given the tragedy mm-hmm. of the JC brother, the JC brother and Jace are the same age. So he has to be, he has to have been around. So now, so, so we're back in the past. We get to see sort of the origins of the circle members and of all of these things. And huge credit to these three actors that came in to play these characters. Because we, you know, we know we've talked about this before on the show. It's it can be tough when you're coming into a show with so much mythology and so much going on where you have no idea what the world is you're entering. But normally you have mm-hmm. other series regulars and other people who are in this world on a regular basis that you can sort of get tone yeah. and kind of guide and and follow their in their stead into this world. These three had to kind of come in completely cold and play these three iconic mm-hmm. characters that were already established, that already had a history, already had actors playing them and relationships without any sort of reference and without even, you know, the rest of us to to be there with them to be a part of it. Well, and also without, you know, a lot of times what happens with this sort of stuff is a guest star will come in in season two and has season one yeah. to watch. And they're like, okay, well, at least I can see, which actually in our case wouldn't have been super helpful because we made some changes. <laughs> we made some pretty drastic changes between season one and season two. But they didn't even have that. Yeah. They didn't, we didn't have the footage to show them. They couldn't even, see, you know, they could Google Alan Van Sprang and they could Google uh, Maxim Roy and, uh, and Isaiah Mustafa, but they wouldn't have seen what how they performed these roles. They wouldn't have seen how that you know the people that they end up being. They wouldn't have been able to see that yet, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Also, credit to them. I think this is the first big sword to sword fight that involved those very fragile, stupid light up. The long swords were the real issue because they were made into. Do you remember they were made in two parts? It was the blade and then the handle, the hilt. And they were sort of glued together, so they would mm-hmm. snap at the hilt very often. If you made any contact, if you swung too hard, they would just snap. And I think this is the first time, Maxim had one in episode one, but this is the first time we really see like blade to blade properly, you know, a real a real proper fight. Um, and again, I wasn't there, but I was there mm-hmm. later on when we fought with those swords and they were yeah. fucking useless. So I can only imagine that these guys really struggled with these swords. 
And huge credit to all of that. We also get to see the Morning Star Sword Do for we? the first time in one of these flashbacks. We changed it a bit later, but I, I clocked it when Valentine is creeping through what we find out later to be sort of the Institute in Idris. Oh, I have a photo of it, and you are absolutely right. Yeah, as he's creeping through when he steals the Mortal Cup, he does so with the Morning Star Sword, which in season three becomes a huge deal. Huge deal. Is that the same sword, the same prop? It looks like it, eh? It's similar. I think that was the one that they had in the film. Mm. And our props department, I think Tony might have made his own. Mm. Because they they started making the rubber swords and doing all of that in, yeah. in season two and three. And I'm trying to remember the sword. Because I fought with the Morningstar sword in season three. Yeah. And I don't remember if it was the same one or not. There were two. What was the, it was the Morningstar and the, what was the other sword? Gold, gleaming, golden... Yeah, it's the um Heavenly Fire, the sword of the Heavenly Fire sword. No, it's it's just called the Mortal Sword, I think. Where did they go? Why didn't we end up with one of those props? Because those belong to Constantine. Ah, I see. I see. Those are from the movie. I see, I see, I see, I see. Fair enough. Anyway, moving on. So yeah, so now as we're going through this story, we really do get to see a lot of the history and we see the love between all three and the jealousy and the sort of radicalization of Valentine as he is pushed to and beyond his limits in his sort of archaic, also radical, also really messed up view of the world. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like this is the this is sort of the first time we get to explore how far he's willing to go, which come to find out later on is genocide like that's how far he's willing to go it's it's genocide and this yeah. is the first time we really get to see that and see the reasoning behind you know i think what makes a good villain is there has to be an element of it that you agree with there has to be an element of like and this one's a very mm -hmm. drastic version of that where you have to look really hard for the part that you agree with but i guess from the point of view of if your job is it's sort of that that uh, like asimov's cascade you know, AI or robots or or whatever, if they have to follow, um, is it, it is Asimov's three laws of robotics, no? I don't know. I think, isn't it? Again, if you're listening to this and I'm wrong, I'm, I'm going to look it up. But to your point, at this point in the Shadowhunters history, the demons are winning. They're starting to overtake the Shadowhunters' control of the world, putting the mundanes in danger, putting the entire world at risk. And Valentine is using that sort of um, desperation to weasel in his beliefs of it is mm -hmm. the downworlder influence that is allowing them to gain more power. And it is, we need more and better soldiers and, totally. you know, super totally. soldiers. And this as is exactly were. what I was saying. It was Isaac Asimov, by the way, the writer of iRobot. I got that absolutely correct. And the three laws Bravo. of robotics in that book are, um, first law, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey orders given to humans beings um, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. And this is, I think, a lot of the reasoning behind Valentine, like, what is the lesser good? Like, at what point do you, and this interestingly is the plot line of iRobot as well, at what point do you cross that bridge of you were trained to protect, you were trained to save, you were trained to stop demons from infiltrating the human world? So at what point do you cross that line of this, to, to do this thoroughly, big picture, to save the human beings from the demon world? At what point do you cross the moralistic line of 
breaking essentially these laws, these rules where it's like, well, if we want to do this thoroughly, if we want to keep this going as our through line, at what point do you go, well, you got to, you got to break some eggs to make some omelets. And I think that's Valentine's rationale Mm -hmm. is, you know, no bad guy thinks they're a bad guy. They think that they're the good guy. That's sort of the whole thing there. Like they think that they're doing the correct thing. And that's Mm -hmm. where Valentine is. He believes that what he's doing is the correct way to save humanity. That is still his end goal. He doesn't want to rule the world. He wants to save humanity from the demon world. He wants it to be pure, which we know morally is incorrect. That is the incorrect way to go around. And the more we meet our downworlders, the more we notice that we shouldn't treat them all as these sort of demons that do just want to destroy things because that's not who they are. They're people with humanity and personalities and love and are a huge benefit to the world in general. And to get rid of them would be devastating loss and crime to the world. But in Valentine's head, he sees them all the same. They are all one thing. Demon blood equals bad. And that's something that I think our show does so beautifully time and time again is painting this picture of it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are born into. That does not have to define you. You define yourself mm-hmm. by the choices that you make and by the what you put out into the world and and who you choose to become. And it's such a, a great message because, you know, as we talked about all the time on set, Angels are not inherently good in our show. The clave is not inherently good in our show. The demons are not inherently evil. And everything in between, Mm -hmm. there's so many shades of gray. We were 50 shades of gray before 50 shades of gray. Before 50 shades of gray, yeah. (laughs) As I hair toss. Um, Then we cut back to Clary and Magnus as Clary is sort of taking all of this in and was reeling from the fact before that her father was Valentine, and now even more so that, you know, her father is essentially much worse than she could have ever imagined. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Sam Neill. Because um, I was wondering about a quote that that is repurposed in Jurassic Park by Sam Neill's character. And I think a lot of a lot of the clave and a lot of the Shadowhunters and a lot of Valentine, these same people that we're talking about that aren't inherently good just because they in theory are on the right side of whatever it is valentine not so much but the clave and the shadow hunters mm-hmm. and the quote the t.s Eliot quote is most of the evil in this world is done with good intentions and the oscar wilde version of that is it is always with the best intentions that the worst work is done and there's there is something dangerous about that and we touched on this briefly with how maris later on behaves. She puts out a hit on Jace and whatever, but her intentions are still that I'm following the rules. There is a bad guy out there. We need to get him. We need to either capture him or kill him. And that's the danger there. And so her intentions in her head are good. They're positive, but some of the worst work can be done with the best intentions. And I think we see that a lot throughout the show. Um, Thank you, Oscar Wilde. What a quote. Thank you very much for that. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. 
Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of, though, pure evil... Mm-hmm. You want to talk pure evil? Always. Scorpion demon. Yeah, those little We fuckers. see the scorpion demon for the first Horrible time. Horrible little we things. We see those a lot in the future episodes as well. But dang, that guy burst out after you were running away from the potion dealer. Mm. And I, oh, those give me don't move cries. nicely. The, no. You know, oh. Decker and I just had an incident with a, a spider in Hawaii. <laughs> and I'm not. How I, big was it? It was big. It's the biggest spider I've ever seen. Probably like toe tip to toe tip, probably the size of my face, you know, around this this sort of size. Mm-hmm. And this is why I bring this up because the way they move is frightening. It's a frightening cacophony of legs, but it's like quick and sporadic. And we were in, we'd just been snorkeling. We we're in the car and I just hear her like yelp. And what has happened is she's in the passenger seat and I'm driving and this big, big spider has just inside the car on her passenger side window has just gone and stopped next to her face. Now, I'm not very proud of how I reacted. If I'm honest, I heard her scream. I looked over. I saw this big motherfucker on the window. I screamed and I was out of the car quicker than you can possibly imagine. (laughs) I was zero help to Decker in any way, shape or form. I I was out. I was gone. Like immediately, I was sort of like a Looney Tunes, like my like a, a cloud of shaped like me was still sat in the car, but I was, <laughs> I was long gone. I'm not a fan of them. Oh, and then and then obviously opened the door and helped Decker out, and then we had to ask uh, a grown up to take care of it for us. But I, these demons are so frightening because they play on those. The, you know, they were designed based around these fears that I think are just normal human fears if you saw like a three foot tall spider or scorpion running towards you i you'd well i know what i'd do i shit my pants and probably get eaten by this thing <laughs> like that would be my response yeah jace and i aren't particularly similar human beings in in that case well, see, you had 
you had personal experience to mm. to play into mm-hmm. in this in this episode. So Alec arrives before the two of you. Magnus, right. we're running around the apartment. We're trying to figure out what's going on. We're back in the present day with Magnus and Clary and Luke. Luke is going in and out. And there's a literal earthquake. Magnus's power, we really get to see the greatness of Magnus's power here. Mm-hmm. It's so great and it's so intense. And he's battling this pack leader poison, as it were, in, in Luke's system with such great ferocity that his entire apartment, he's created his own earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Alec run in. Because the stakes are so high, they aren't fully thinking about what they're saying, I think. But you get to see these two characters have an, uh, a vo- moment of vulnerability in a moment of panic mm-hmm. where Magnus goes, I need you. And he goes, take what you need. And that's, and then they're together and we hold hands for the first time. So not only hold hands for the first time, I, I was going to bring this up. A fan noticed this and I don't know who it was. I wish I could give you credit for it. Just let me double check. I believe that Matt is cradling Harry. I think. Oh yes, quite he, so because because he needs the energy and he kind of collapses into Correct. Yeah, and I think it's the first time we see it and what I notice what the what the fan noticed and if this is you then congratulations for spotting this is um Harry sort of falls almost into the lap of Matt in between his legs and sort of into his shoulder and cradles into that sort of nook. And I th- what we notice from that is Again, it's sort of foreshadowing, but these characters need each other and they will evolve mm-hmm. with each other. And very much the uh, the soulmates conversation that we were having recently is they don't know each other very well, but there is something drawing them physically together. There's something mm-hmm. comforting within the arms and the bodies of these two people where when they are with each other, the world just seems right and it seems brighter and it seems happier. You they know, fit. Like they, can, they fit. They do. They fit. They fit. So kudos to whoever it was who spotted that. And that brings us to Jason Simon run in at the last minute, save the day, get the mm. ingredients. Clary has learned enough to somehow mix the potion. And I forget what it was on the day. I remember talking to Isaiah because he was also, Isaiah is one of the healthiest people I've ever met in my life. He has so much knowledge about nutrition and, and everything else. And, you know, because he had to drink this concoction all day, I'm pretty sure it was some sort of bulletproof coffee that the potion ended up being in the end. What I actually poured. Was it? it was some, yeah, because he was doing all that bulletproof coffee where he was blending the butter and the oat milk and yeah, he knows everything. But yeah, it was something along those lines that still fit within his nutrition. Within his regime, yeah. Interesting. That's another good point as well, actually, because that responsibility comes down to props. And they, again, were very good at what can you eat? What can't you eat? What would you like to eat? What would you like Mm -hmm. to drink in these moments? Which is very, very sweet of them. And putting a lot of thought into the character side of it as well. I remember, you know, even when we went on the double Mm -hmm. date in season two, I had a full conversation with props department of what cocktail Clary would order (laughs) at the restaurant. Right. Exactly. Which brings us quite neatly to sort of our last section of this episode, which is the the duologue between Indeed. Clary and Luke. And Kat, I think you should take a lot of this because one, <laughs> I wasn't there. Two, it doesn't have a huge amount to do with me or Jace. So I think this is you and I'll interject with my opinions as and when. Okay. I will get into the elements that we find out about 
when we get story time with Isaiah Mustafa. First of all, huge credit to Isaiah because he had pages and pages of exposition monologue that he somehow turned into mm-hmm. a conversation and a story. And Exposition monologue is something we should discuss quickly, briefly, because we do a lot of do. exposition in this show, which exposition is a term within dialogue that basically means we are explaining this for the audience normally. It's stuff that we know as characters. I can at least speak for me. It's difficult to remember because it's yeah. not conversational. So it's difficult to memorize these lines because you're just sort of, it's it's mm-hmm. monologue You know, you're just sort of going off on a bit of a, a bit of a sort of seemingly out of nowhere tangent (laughs) describing whatever this thing is. And we do it a lot in the show because we have to, you know, we're developing this law, we have to do it, but it's, it's hard work. And those are hard days where you have to sit and prep and prep. I'm laughing because it's true. Expositional dialogue. It's not in most of acting. What you're doing is doing something actionable. You're trying to do something or accomplish something or achieve get after whatever it is. So there's an action associated with whatever you're doing. An exposition there isn't really. It's a much more passive thing. But I had a bit of a giggle as you were describing that so aptly because, um, you know, people tangenting and talking at each other for long hours and telling stories and describing things. We know nothing about that, Dom. That's not at all. That's exactly, exactly what we're doing what right we now. Do. That's exactly what it's we're exactly sitting here what doing we right do. now. Yeah. Um, so Exposition. I, I was, I'm going to exposition about some exposition. How's that? Great. This is truly one of the silliest questions, Clary. Clary asks a lot of dumb questions, but there's there's one in this episode that Isaiah and I had a real laugh about because there's a moment when he reveals that Luke and Jocelyn were in love, and you know, as we said, what kind of love? Love has many different definitions, et cetera, et cetera. They loved each other, and for some reason. Clary's first thought, and most likely because she's in a bit of shock and and is just desperate for anyone to be her father but Valentine, she asks Luke, does this mean you're my father? And Isaiah's reaction is so perfect, just very lovingly, kindly. He just goes, no. 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 No, sweetheart. No, I'm not. I know you want anyone but Valentine to be your father right now, but No. Not even remotely possible. But that also, that brings into into question the debate that is sprung by this relationship most thoroughly in the show. And then also later on with sort of Jason Maris and, uh, and Paulino, there are two different definitions of being a father. There's being a father, which is a genetic father. You gave, you know, your DNA and produced this person. Kind of anyone can do that. That's just being a father. Being a dad is a very different thing. Being a dad is the person who was there, who raised you, who created you, who created your spirit and your soul and pointed your compass where it needed to be with your morals and with your instincts and with your intentions and with your actions. That's what a dad is. So Luke, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I saw on screen is, and between the two of you when we were on set, is Luke is not your father, but Luke is your dad. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And the same thing with with Jason, the Lightwoods. The Lightwoods aren't his parents, but are aren't his biological parents, but are mm-hmm. his mum and his dad. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And this is something that, again, our show does really beautifully, is this idea of chosen family. You know, we we don't get to choose our mm-hmm. biological family in this life, and, and neither do these characters, but we always have the opportunity to 
find people that become our family and that feel like family and and Mm -hmm. see us for who we are, accept us for who we are, love us for who we are, and we do the same. And that can be your support system and your family as you go through life. And it's it's a really mm-hmm. beautiful thing and and something I always equate with, you know, Clary's journey paralleling my own with the show. All of you became and still are and always will be family to me. It's very sweet. Um keep talking about what happens next. So we that we hit a pretty major plot. We do. But we also find out in this section and I think it's important to point out as Luke describes what Valentine's plans were. We find out a little bit mm-hmm. of mythology of how shadow hunters are created. We get to hear mm-hmm. this this sort of concept shadow hunters can be born. If you are born of two shadow hunters, you will also be a shadow hunter, but you can also be made by drinking Raziel's or the blood of an angel from the mortal cup, which is one reason why everyone is trying to find the cup because they know that whoever possesses the cup can create more shadow hunters and that was Mm -hmm. you know the the clave has outlawed the use of the cup since valentine and the uprising but hence why the cup is is so significant um but as we go through you find out also why luke is no longer a shadow hunter which is also having to do with valentine where he was jealous of the love between Jocelyn jocelyn and luke and double crossed his own parabatai which is potentially the greatest of sins when it comes to being a shadow hunter is is mm-hmm. betraying and abandoning and destroying the bond that is to Parabatai. Um and mm-hmm. he traps which we touched on in a previous episode when we were talking about real life or or Parabatai that exist in different worlds. And when we brought up Caesar and Brutus, we were like, mm, not really, but then also kinda because that's very similar to this situation that happened between Luke and uh Valentine is sort of an A2 Brutus kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And we also get to see, before this conversation, actually, I think it's important to touch on something. There's a few moments of other foreshadowing and another love triangle that happens. This is also the first time that Clary thanks anyone for anything. Mm. Before she goes in and has the conversation with Luke, before she does any of that, she has a moment with Alec where he's done his job and had a nice connection with Magnus and done all of this. Clary pauses and recognizes the fact that she has put Alec out and caused forced him to kind of make these choices and and been really difficult for him and thanks him in a way but also Clary's the first person to kind of recognize and encourage his connection with Magnus because mm-hmm. she she says well you know thanks for doing this for Jace it's you know it's, it's he really appreciate you know it's good I'm glad you guys are on okay terms again and he just very simply says I didn't do it for Jace and yeah. Clary goes, oh, well, then I'm glad you did it for you because there's was very apparent chemistry between the two of them. And we see later on they have a lovely little uh, drink while they're cleaning up the apartment while Clary and Luke mm-hmm. are having this conversation. And you really get to see those sparks fly. But there's you see so much growth in Alec in this episode. And it's a lot of foreshadowing. Another beat of foreshadowing, which I didn't realize this until we watched this episode. Clary also thanks Jace. And they have a lovely little mm-hmm. flirty moment. And then focus shifts and Simon's in the background. Now, you and I know that yeah. in season two, episode 14, which is another big book moment, there's another moment where Clary and Jace have a connection, rack focus to Simon in the background. And it is almost the exact same configuration. I didn't realize it till I went back and rewatched this episode. We have the opposites of those that happen as well with where 
the roles are shifted and rack focus to another character without giving too much away. It's Jason Simon and Clary's in the back. Clary's in the back. If only. If only. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, If only. We would have had a lot of fun if that was the case. Alternate universe, future episode. But lots of foreshadowing. Foreshadowing in flashbacks, past, present, and future. But in the end, it all comes full circle. They're trying to piece together. Luke goes, I've told you everything. Why? uh, Your mother said you would know where the cup is. Clary still doesn't know until she goes, wait a minute, there's one more piece to this puzzle. Pulls out the JC box from her bag. Luke instantly pales. Clary knows, okay, what there's something to do with. He goes, no, he shuts down. He's like, I'm not telling you about the box. It's not my place. I can't. I don't know. After Clary pushes him a bit, we find out, which is actually this, the fire at Fairchild Manor is a lot bigger deal than in the books than it is in our show. And, and I'm glad we touch on it here because it leads everything to who is JC. We find out who in this is moment, JC? what's in the box is what we find out. They could have opened the box. the box. They don't open the box. Could Not have opened sure the box. We do later. We, we do find later. out what's in it later. JC stands for none other than Jonathan Christopher, which we find out is Clary's older brother who died in a fire when we thought Valentine, because people have thought Valentine has been dead for about 18 years. Mm-hmm. Valentine and Jonathan supposedly died in a fire at Fairchild Manor that Valentine set himself. And it has been the reason that Jocelyn fled. It was the reason that Clary has been kept a secret. It is the reason that the circle was destroyed and that all of its members had to either go into hiding, go to prison, or reform. Mm -hmm. We obviously find out that Valentine survived the fire. Jonathan Christopher is still supposed dead. But the fact that not only has Clary been lied to for 19 years, her father's Valentine, her mother's missing. She also has a secret brother. And that is enough to sort of raise her emotions. Suddenly the box disappears into her pad of paper. You look over, it's a drawing of the box. And suddenly the pieces fall into place. We realize now that these things that have been happening is actually a result of a special ability that Clary's angel blood has given her. Given that her mother was an artist, she was an artist. This ability has been passed down through generations, which is why Jocelyn fostered Clary's love of art and hid her own for so many years to keep them hiding, to Mm -hmm. keep Clary's abilities developing whether or not she understood it. Subconscious, yeah. And this is when, as mothers usually tend to be right in the end, Jocelyn's plan works. It clicks into place, and Clary understands where the cup is hidden. Da, da, da. Dun, dun, dun. And then we move on to the next episode. But thank you so much, as always, for listening. Thank you for coming on our little journey. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we get to discuss a whole mess of new stuff. We get to have actually quite a lot of fun with the next episode, because is that not the police station? It's the police station. It is the more scorpion demons. It is mm-hmm. a little bit of shape-shifting and mm-hmm. a lot of love. A lot of love. If I'm not wrong, a big, misty cliffhanger. Is that not how we end episode seven? With someone being oh. presented to us? <gasps> you are so right. Is that not the end of episode seven? That is the end of so, episode seven. Lots to come back for. Thank you always and forever for listening and for being our family in this. Thank you for being our shadow fam and make sure you subscribe to return to the shadows wherever you get your podcasts and while you're there feel free to drop us a review until next time
Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia, and our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristin Vermilia. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara, and the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.